how many of you have ever had to fight for anything? Sometimes it seems like you fight for everything, you know, you get in life. And we've talked about that, that we're never alone. We've talked about fighting for the faith. And today we're going to talk about a fight to the finish. Everybody say that with me, a fight to the finish. Have you ever had friends turn against you? When you needed them the most. You ever find yourself in a situation where your plans are shattered and your dreams are crushed? You ever been a place in your life where everything's taken from you, your bank account's gone, your family's gone, and all your hope is gone? There's a man in Scripture that had that happen. His name was David, and this is his story. He started out, we are introduced to him as a shepherd boy being faithful, taking care of sheep. There's an entire army of Israel that's been withstood by a giant that stood nine foot and nine inches tall. The head of his spear, the end of it, weighed 15 pounds. The armor he wore weighed 150 pounds, and he had successfully put an entire army at bay, challenging them to send a man to fight until David showed up. And when David saw him, he said, Who, who's this guy think he is? He's defying the armies of a living God. You see, David had an insight that this battle wasn't about them it wasn't their battle to fight. He said that the battle belongs to the Lord. I wonder if, you've, if anybody's learned that lesson in here today. How many times do you find yourself still trying to fight your own battles instead of turning it over to God? And so David had learned to turn it over to God, and he skyrocketed. He, he was an overnight sensation. People were singing songs about him, and his success seemingly became his downfall when they started singing, David has slain his, or Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David became the object of jealousy. And the scripture said that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. It can, it can destroy your life if you let it. King Saul goes after David. He turns from being his right-hand man to being the most wanted in the kingdom. And he, on several occasions, has tried to rob him of his life and snuff him out. And David's always on the run. He's hiding in caves. He's going on the other side of mountains trying to get away from Saul. And finally... He's forced to flee from his own country for fear of his life. You ever been there? You ever find yourself running away from the very thing God promised you? Leaving instead of staying? When David left, he wound up in a foreign country with a king named Agag, and he was living in a town called Ziklag. And when he got to Ziklag, he went to go fight on behalf of the king. And as he went to fight on behalf of the king, something happened. And his city is invaded. They burn the town. 
they kidnap his families and they steal everything that he had. And he came back to that and his comrades, those closest to him, those men that would never leave his side, looked at him and said, we ought to just stone you. Isn't it something how you can go from being a hero to a zero in a moment? You know, you catch the winning touchdown. How many of you saw that game last week between New Orleans and L.A.? Anybody see that? They had to get protection for the referees. The, the biggest flub in NFL history. And the, an entire, not just an entire team, but an entire state felt like they had been robbed of the Super Bowl. To the point that they've hired an attorney and now they're suing the NFL trying to get back what was taken from them. Do you understand that nowhere in Scripture does it say life is going to be fair? Amen. Jesus never promised you that. What he did promise you is I'll go with you to the ends of the earth. No matter what you're going through, I won't run away from it. I won't leave you alone. I'll be there for you. And you've got to hold on to that. And David does something in the middle of that mess that we need to learn from. Instead of throwing up his hands and quitting and saying, man, I'm going to get out of Dodge, you know, forget this. God, where are you at in all this? What he did is the Bible said that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now get this phrase, his God. Say that with me. His God, the Lord, his God, until you make him your God, you're never going to live a victorious life. As long as he's mama's God or daddy's God or your grandma's God or your grandpa's God, you're never going to get your breakthrough. But the moment you declare he's my God, the moment you declare this is my promise, I'm holding on to it. I'm not going to let go of it. There's a shift that happens in the atmosphere. When David encouraged himself, and I always wondered, well, how did he encourage himself? Did you ever think about what was going through his head? When all of a sudden he comes in, man, and I mean, be real with it. Don't read this like it's some nursery rhyme. It's not. It's history. He comes in, and his whole family is kidnapped. All he's got is burned to the ground. How would you feel? If you went home today and your house is burnt down, you find out you can't find your family anywhere that a band of robbers came in, wouldn't it upset you a little bit? And then what if you called your friends up and, and said, hey, man, well, you know, I need some help over here. And they look at you and say, you know what, we're thinking about coming over to your house and killing you. Because you're the ones that brought all these rascals into our neighborhood. If it hadn't been for you, our houses would still be up. If it hadn't been for you, that gang would have never shown up. We ought to just kill you. David has to push all that aside, and he gets his focus back on God. You've got to understand that one of the tools that the enemy uses against you is to try and get you to focus on your problem instead of the God that can conquer your problem, to get you to focus on your giant instead of the tools he's equipped you with to take out the giant. David began to think, wait a minute. 
there's some promises that God made me. I can see him sitting down there that day with all his men breathing down his neck and looking around at the rubble that's around him, and all of a sudden something in his heart begins to burn. I had that happen one time. First mission trip we did to Mexico, and there was a car wreck, and my wife's family was carted off to the hospital. I stood in the middle of an interstate on Interstate 30 at mile marker 12 outside of Texarkana and hear reports that one of her sisters won't make an ambulance ride to the hospital. Her mom's leg is broken. Her sister's pelvis is broken. And I'm looking at all of this and for a moment, Mike, man, my heart began to tremor, and, and I almost felt myself overcome with grief and at the verge of just breaking down. And I heard a voice speak to me, and this is what that voice said. He said, you can fall apart here, or you can trust me for a miracle, and you need a miracle. <laughs> At that moment, I got up. I said, everybody, hang on. I said, we're getting ready to pray. The, the, the uh, police officers, the state troopers shut down traffic, let us gather in the middle of that interstate. We started praying. The sister that wasn't supposed to make an ambulance ride was released within two hours of getting to the hospital. Her mama, whose leg was broken, was saying, I think I can still make this trip. The sister whose hip was broke, or whose pelvis was broken, that wasn't supposed to be able to get up for six months, was up the next day. Do you understand? We serve a God uh, that can do the impossible uh, if we'll believe. So David's thinking, wait a minute, man. All my stuff is gone. My family's gone. But there's a word that I got that said I am ordained to be a king and I will not let the enemy rob me of what God has promised me. I'm going to fight to the finish. And because he was willing to do that, the scripture said he recovered all. Why are you settling for half of what God promised you? Why are you content with a portion of it when he said it's yours? Think about this week when you get your paycheck if your employer only gives you a third of it. You, what would you do? Would you go, oh, I guess that's all I'm getting this week and go on about your merry way? No, you'd, you'd knock on the door. I'm missing something. What are you talking about? Well, look, man, I, that's, this is wrong. No, no, that's all you get this week. That's what? That's all you get this week. Some of you would be saying, look, you can either give me the rest of my paycheck or I'm going to take it out of your hide. Now, I would never say that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is you would not allow someone to steal from you what's been promised to you. Why would you let the devil do that? Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, it's a fight to the finish. And I ain't finished yet. <laughs> Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we feel like we're just not up to it anymore. We feel like our best days are over. As a matter of fact, we had a meeting and we, we always pray in my office before we come out here and the two men that came into the the office to pray with me. I'm not going to mention their names, but their initials are Cecil and Lloyd. 
And they, they came in to the office and Lloyd was talking about how he'd done some work and he, he said, man, he said, you know, I could feel it. And we started talking about how age will try and take stuff from you. And I told him, I said, you know, one of the things I found out though, I said, is if you continue to do it, it's not nearly as hard on you as when you quit doing it and then try and start back doing it. If you've, if you've ever lifted weights or you've ever run and you, you build yourself up to a place and then you stop doing that for a while and then you go back to it. I know it had been several weeks before I'd been at the gym and I was, you know, I, I was on, on a preacher bench. I, I would take a dumbbell that was 45 pounds and, and curl it. And it had been several weeks since I had been to the gym, probably almost a couple months. And I went back and I grabbed that up and I, somebody's been messing with the weights on this stuff, man. That ain't right. That used to come up a lot easier than it's coming up now. And you lose something. You ought to talk to Noah about it. Noah spent a hundred years of his life consumed with purpose. A flood's coming, and God made me a promise that my family's going to be saved as long as I fight to the finish. In a world that had gone to hell in a handbasket, in a world that did not have the ability to think one good thought, the Bible said that the imaginations of man was evil continually. And God had made a judgment call. There was one man that found grace in his eyes. Aren't you glad to know that God doesn't just heap you up in a bundle with everybody else, but he looks at you individually and he judges you not according to other people's actions or your parents' actions or your family's actions, but he looks at your heart and he, he looks to see your action. And Noah found grace. And for a hundred years, he's consumed day in and day out, building a ship, an ark, 450 feet long, man. He didn't call Lowe's. He had to cut down trees and then saw planks out of trees. He sharpened a saw every night, pulled splinters. <laughs> every night, boiling pitch. His clothes smelt like last week's laundry. But he kept on it. Why? Because every time he looked at his children, every time he saw his wife, he was reminded, there's a reason I'm doing this. And he would not give up. And the flood came and they made it through. Years passed. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that Noah lived 350 years after the flood. 350 years after the flood. He doesn't know what to do with himself. Nobody needs an ark anymore. So he 
begins to get uneasy. He, he plants a vineyard, squeezes some grapes, and gets drunk. Look, nobody wants to talk about that, but that's what happened. He was drunk. Everybody say, he tied one on. I can see him in my mind's eye with that bottle pressed against his lips as he went walking through the moonlight and he makes his way back up the hill to where the old ark is parked. (laughs) Goes inside and there hanging are all of his tools that have now collected cobwebs and dust and saws are rusty and, and he hasn't touched them or handled them in years. In over a century. And he pats the ark. We made it, buddy. You and me. You got us out of the flood. Just, we, we rose above it. But nobody needs an ark now. Noah feels like nobody needs him finds his way back to his tent and strips off and just lays down. And one of his sons walk in on him, him, and sees him in that condition. And he goes out, and the phrase implies that he published it in the street. He goes out and he exposes his father to his two brothers. You ought to see dad in there. He's drunker than old Cooter Brown. I never did know who Cooter Brown was. I, he, he's, oh, dad, man, he thought when dad's in there, sprout on him. But the other two boys took a cloak and walked in backwards. Because they remembered that that man is the reason they're alive. And they weren't going to let one moment of weakness rob them of the respect they had for that man. But Ham did. In one moment of weakness, Noah finds himself exposed and ashamed. He didn't understand that he still had a purpose. There was a new generation that needs to hear how God will keep you through the storm. There's another generation that needs to know that when you're faithful and you're committed, God does not forget that, but God remembers. He's faithful not to forget your labor of love. He will not leave you or forsake you, but Noah let it go. Just because the flood's over doesn't mean you're over. There's a story about an old fighter He had been the heavyweight champion of the world in his day. But years went by and his wife died. And he feels lost. He's got no purpose and yet there's something in him that still wants to fight. And the only problem is people don't believe 
he can anymore. It's a nice snapshot. Peaked? You haven't peaked yet? Yeah, peaked. I don't know, there's still some stuff in the basement. What basement? In here. Tell me about the stuff. Turn it up just a little. What about it? Tell me about the stuff inside. Is it angry? Angry? Are you mad because Adrian left you? She didn't leave, Paul. She died. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. You know, sometimes it's hard to breathe. You know, I feel like this beast inside me. It's okay, Rocco. Please, it's okay. Is it? Okay. I, you know, I just never knew it was supposed to be this hard. It wasn't supposed to be like this, Paul, you know? You want to come by and help me train? I got a job here. I understand. Remember, you said if you stay one place long enough, you become that place? Rocco, this is all I got. I understand, boy. I do. Well, if you get time, maybe come down and see me train. I appreciate it. Uh, of course, Rocco. Bye, Polly. Goodbye, Rocco. Take care, Rocco. So he said it wasn't supposed to be like this. Did you ever go through a season of your life that you just couldn't figure out? Did you ever endure something and you were wishing you could reclaim what used to be or what had been before? You wrestle with the idea, why am I here? Why am I going through this? What's going on? And he talked about there's still something in the basement. I'm not dead. It's not over. There's still something in me that wants to fight. There's still something in me that hasn't cashed out, that hasn't let go, and you need to make sure it's still in you. You need to make sure that you just don't walk away because something changes and now life isn't the way it used to be. Then find your new way of life and don't let go of what God called you to and hang on to it with all that you have. But all too often, people just don't understand.
You know, living with you, it hasn't been easy. People see me, but they think of you. Now with all this going on, this is gonna be worse than ever. It don't have to be. No, sure it does. Why, you got a lot going on, kid. Oh, well, my last name? That's the reason I got a decent job. That's the reason why people deal with me in the first place. Now I start to get a little ahead. I start to get a little something for myself, and this happens. Now I'm asking you as a favor not to go through with this, okay? This is only gonna end up bad for you, and it's gonna end up bad for me. You think I'm hurting you? Yeah, in a way you are. That's the last thing I ever wanted to do. I know that's not what you want to do, but that's just the way that it is. Don't you care what people think? Doesn't it bother you that, that people are making you out to be a joke and that I'm gonna be included in that? Do you think that's right? Do you? You ain't gonna believe this, but you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching. Every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. So he gets a chance because of a computer program that played with the current heavyweight champion and him when he was the heavyweight champion and the computer model showed that he would have won the fight. And there was a big controversy around it and so the, the heavyweight champion decides, let's do an exhibition fight. This guy's past his prime. He's going to be made out to be a joke, but he doesn't care. Because what's in here is bigger than what's in the world. <laughs> Remember that thing that's in the basement? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. His son is upset because now he's going to be made out to be a joke along with his dad. And, but Rocky told him, he said, man, he said, you... You went out and you used to be your own person and you did great, but somewhere along the line, you let somebody poke a finger in your face. How many of us have been intimidated or pushed back because once upon a time, somebody said something negative about us and we believed it? 
You got to quit believing that junk. The Bible said that the devil came to rob, steal, and destroy. That's what he's there for. He kills, steals, and destroys. But don't you understand that he came into this world that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So it doesn't matter how hard you get hit as long as you get up and keep moving forward. You've got to keep moving forward. You're not going to get through life without taking some punches. There are going to be some people that give you some cheap shots and sucker punch you. But what you've got to do is shake it off, stand back up, and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? I am not going to give up this fight. It's a fight to the finish. So he knows that he's not going to be effective. He's not going to stand a chance if he doesn't train. And he can't train the way he used to train. He's got to find a different way to fight this enemy. You have to understand something, man. The scripture said we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, but we sure act like it sometimes. He's not going to come at you the same way over and over and over again. He's going to try and slip in on you. You've got to find a way to stop him in his tracks. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son. You're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. You know all there is to know about fighting. So there's no sense us going down that same old road again. To beat this guy, you need speed. You don't have it. And your knees can't take the pounding. So hard running is out. And you got arthritis in your neck. And you've got calcium deposits on most of your joints. So sparring is out. I had that problem. So what we'll be calling on is good old fashioned blunt force trauma, horsepower, heavy duty, cast iron, pile driving punches that will have to hurt so much they'll rattle his ancestors. Every time you hit him with his shot, he's got to feel like he tried kissing the express train. Yeah, let's start building some hurting bombs.
on, take it, take, keep it rolling. chances out there than you have to. There's nothing more to prove, Pop. There's nothing more to prove. I gotta go out the way I gotta go. The more round we go home. Okay, then do it. There's an old saying that every great champion has one great fight left in him. And Rocky is proving it so far. Come on, let's go, guys. Touch him up. Taco! The last round of your life! Come on, guys. The last round! Come on. Touch him up. Let's go. Touch him up. You can do it, come on! This fight is as though Dixon got on-the-job training and courage. Knock this bum out, Mace! What did you say to the kid? It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. And keep moving forward. How much you can take. So he had to prove something. His son told him, he said, this is the last round, Dad. 
just stay away from him. You got nothing more to prove. But he said, I got to go out the way I got to go out. I don't want to live my life for God with a passion and then lose that and the last part of it. Paulie hollered at him, it's the last round of your life, Rocco, the last round. I want to finish strong. I want to make sure that I can leave a legacy about that I didn't give up when it got tough. He got knocked down that one punch and he started hearing what did I tell the kid? It's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. How many of you in here have had some hard hits in your life? Anybody? But you're still here. <laughs> I said you're still here. You haven't quit. You didn't walk away. You're still in the fight. And you don't give up at the end. You get up and you keep moving forward. Paul tell. wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so you've got to give it all you've got because it's a fight to the finish. He wasn't going to back out the last round. It's a fight to the finish. He wasn't going to give up or slack off. It's a fight to the finish. Amen. He wanted that opponent to know. Matter of fact, it, the, the opponent had met with him earlier, and he said, look, you just, he said, I, I'm going to take it easy on you. He said, but if you give me a cheap shot, he said, I'm going to hurt you. And he looked at him and said, you know, I don't know what you come to Vegas for, but I, when I come to Vegas, I come to win. <laughs> You've got to make up your mind that you're a winner and not a loser, that you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, and then walk that way, live that way. There's another man in Scripture that had everything taken from him. His friends ran out on him. His own brothers are nowhere to be found. Those that had cheered him now jeer at him. They stripped him of his clothes, stripped him of his followers, and stripped him of his health. But they could not strip him of his relationship with God. When they hated him, he loved them. When they beat him, he healed them. When they cried, crucify him, he forgave them. And even though he was in the fight for his life, he wouldn't give up, give in, or let go. Instead, he cried, it is finished. A fight to the finish. And when he finished this fight, he beat Satan to a pulp, turned hell on its heels, and set the captives free. His name is Jesus. He's a real hero. He's a real fighter. It's not a movie. It's reality. A fight to the finish. He said, no one takes my life. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to pick it back up. And when the devil had taken him out, he proved himself more powerful than death, hell, and the grave. 
And because he finished the fight, he gave us the ability. That's what he did for us so we can fight to the finish. Paul tells us to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 to 8, it's what Paul did. He said, I fought a good fight, I've finished the race, and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul finished his fight and instructed us on what to do until we finish ours. So he tells us in 2 Timothy 1 and 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Would you stand with me? It's time for us to open up the basement door and let the lion roar. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, let it out. Come on, say it again. Let it out. It's a fight to the finish. you got to let it out. When I went through that on the side of that interstate, so we were making the drive to the hospital. I was looking out the window at the field, out in the field. And this was my prayer. Something stirred in me. And I said, God, I'm asking you to make the devil pay for what he tried to do here today. And God, I'm asking you to use me to make him pay. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to get this in your heart and in your mind that the God you serve is powerful enough to take you and lay a giant flat on his back. The God you serve is powerful enough to take you and turn the world upside down. Why do you think I went on those trips into other countries? wasn't because I believed I was something. It was because I believed that he could use me if I would stay humble. And that he could cause my actions, my response to his word, to turn it upside down. say, well, Pastor Rick, that's different. That's you. There are people that I know that are in other countries that have heard the word because I took it to them. Now, hear me. But there are people that are across the street that you know have heard the word because you took it to them. You may not cross the water, but you can cross the street. You may never fly over the ocean, but you can run downtown. My wife has encountered hundreds of people 
Actually, if I'm going to be honest about it, she's encountered by this time thousands upon thousands of people individually. And they gave their heart to God because she wasn't afraid to approach them. I want you to ask yourself a question. Who's going to hell right now that you could stop? Who? You say, well, what kind of a question is that? Well, let's just make it real, all right? If you had a family member that you know had a glass of bleach and they were getting ready to drink it, wouldn't you knock it out of their hand? Oh, no, no, you know, I talk to them, but I'm, you know, if they, it's their decision. So if they want to have a shot of Clorox, that's up to them. Not where I come from. If I've got to tackle them, I'm going to make sure that they don't take that stuff. Because they may not be thinking right at the moment. <laughs> So I've got to, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever needed to be saved from yourself? Did you ever need someone to reach in and just intercede and, and say, God, I'm asking you to straighten out their thinking. Anybody in here ever have stinking thinking? A friend of mine said, when you get stinking thinking, you need a checkup from the neck up. And it's true. Sometimes we walk around and we defeat ourselves. We're talking negative. We're talking about how rotten we are. Everybody knows you're rotten. You don't need to tell them. You understand the Bible said all have sinned. All have fallen short. said that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So we know it. That's not news. What's news is that God could take a rascal like me and change me. <laughs> that he could turn my life around and then he could use my life to turn other lives around. Friends, there's only one thing better than going to heaven and that's taking somebody with you. Are you ready for it? <laughs> Are you ready? For, as they sing this song, we're at the close. This, this is the last series in this message of fight for it. And this is a fight to the finish. So this is what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to come to the front of this building. And I'm asking you to ask God to equip you to, so that you can stir up the gift that's inside of you. We all have different gifts. You need to stir your gift up and use it so it'll change someone's life. Michelle came up, I think, what, two weeks ago, and she sang, and she told everybody she was nervous. You could, well, she didn't tell everybody, just those that asked me. You couldn't tell she was nervous. And I thought to myself, I think I'm going to sing next week. That's not the gift that God put in me. Some people can take a song and speak to your life with it. 
and give you what you need to make it through that moment. Others can take a word and make it come alive to you so that you're able to grab hold of it for that moment. Others are able to speak comfort into your heart at a time where you're distressed and cause peace to well up in you. That's why there's one body that's many members because we need each other. We need, we're not in this fight alone. We're in this fight together. And we're not going to give up on one another, are we? We're going to fight to the finish and see it through. So this is what I want you to do. You come today, right now, as you come up right now, quick. If I had a bell, I'd ring it. Come quick, come quick, come quick. I'm just, look, I, I know you get tired of hearing me say this. But if living for God was just about going to church and sitting on a pew, I wouldn't have done it. There's a reality to God, a reality that we find as individuals. He becomes real to us as individuals. The scripture said that David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. His God. You have to make him your God. You say, well, that's pastor's God. He's got to be your God because he'll speak to you in ways that are real to you. We're going to pray in just a second, but I remember a story. It was a true true story that a, a lady, God spoke to a lady. She had a gift and God wanted her to stir it up. And this is what the Lord spoke to her. He said, I want you to rewrite Mother Goose nursery rhymes. It's a true story. She wrestled with it and she couldn't shake it. So she picked up a book of Mother Goose nursery rhymes and looked at it and said, Mother Goose, it's time you got saved. And so she had wrote various nursery rhymes about Mary's little lamb and had changed them. And, and they became published and they printed them and you could you, you might even be able to get one now you'd probably have to special order it but I had one for years I don't know where it's at it was a hardcover and the reason I had it is because of the story I heard about it one family got a hold of one and she had a little boy and his favorite nursery rhyme was Humpty Dumpty and it said Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall Humpty Dumpty had a great fall But Humpty Dumpty shouted amen because he knew Jesus could put him together again. (laughs) And every week, every night, every day, read me Humpty Dumpty, Mommy. Read me Humpty Dumpty. And she said, I read that to you. It's like, Mommy, you can read anything else to me, but please read me Humpty Dumpty. So she would read. Then one day when the boy was on his way home from school, he was attacked by a vicious dog. The dog crushed bones in the boy's face. He lay in a hospital bed and the doctors came in and his face was all bandaged up and the doctor took the mom just outside the door and spoke to her and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but there's nothing we can do for your boy. He said, his bones are crushed. He said, 
we can't do reconstructive plastic surgery because he's not through growing yet. And by the time he's through growing, I'm afraid he'll be so scarred that there's nothing we'll be able to do. And mama came in with tears streaming down her face. And the little boy looked up at her and said, mama, she didn't realize he heard what the doctor said. She said, he said, mama, he said, what? She dried tears, said, what is it, son? She said, mama, or he said, mama, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. And mama Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But you know what? Mama Humpty Dumpty shouted amen because he knew Jesus could put him together again. And mama Jesus can put me together again too. Six weeks later, that boy was on national television giving a testimony. There wasn't a scar on his face. Don't let the devil tell you it's over. This is a fight to the finish. God's going to use you. He's going to take your gift and use it to bring hope. Raise your hands to heaven right now. I just want you to plug in, would you? Just plug into that throne room right now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We declare that you have made us the head and not the tail. That you have caused us to be above and not beneath. And we will not give up. We will not give in. We will not run. But we'll stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Because you're the one that goes before us. Now stir up the gift in each one of us. And let us use it for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise right now. I want you, I, I thought about little Jeremiah, <laughs> and I went up, and, and many of you are, are, may not be aware, but Lance, his, uh, daughter Jennifer, had a little boy, his name's Jeremiah, and he was born, and they, he's fought so much stuff, their lungs undeveloped, and they gave up on him so many times, but Jeremiah just kept coming back just kept fighting I was up there and they had done the IV wrong and he had air or you know that or liquid that had bubbled up and I watched them take a needle and poke this little boy countless times and I watched that little fella it was such a trooper and I told him that day I said look he's a fighter he's coming out of this he and and they they said Jennifer's hope was that they could be home for Christmas and they were uh, you know uh, he was home before Christmas. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But Humpty Dumpty shouted amen because he knew Jesus could put him together again. Whatever situation, you remember that we sang that song, Raise a Hallelujah. You know the story behind it. A boy told, or they told his parents, he won't live the night. And the worship leader was in there and he said, man, the, the unbelief started getting louder than my faith. And he started pinning the words to this song. Raise a hallelujah in the midst of my enemies. Raise a hallelujah that's louder than the unbelief. Raise a hallelujah my weapon is a melody raise a hallelujah because i know heaven fights for me do you understand you're not alone heaven 
fights for you. Heaven fights on your behalf. Heaven's fighting for your mama today. Come here. I know she's in the fight for her life. And we're believing for the victory we want. The good news is there's no way this comes out defeated. Are you hearing me? I went up and was talking to his mom, and she said, well, I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I got peace. And she did, man. She sat in that chair and had peace all over her. I'm telling you that through every storm, Noah can let you know that there's a God that's faithful to bring you through it. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're bringing this family through this storm. The darkness beat me down. I sing in the night, my hope alive. Anybody can shout the victory on the mountain, but you know that he's your God when you're shouting it in the valley. <laughs> David said, oh, when I'm on the mountaintop, I'll shout. No, no, no. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he's with me. He's with you today, folks. Take him out of here with you. Let him stir the gift in you and come. let his presence flow through you to someone else. How many of you are willing to do that? Grab, grab your neighbor by the hand right now and look at him and say, be careful. You're handling dynamite. I got something inside of me. Come on, say it. I got something inside of me that's more powerful than the atom bomb. I got something in me that's greater than any power in this world. His name is Jesus. His spirit abides, and I'm going to walk in it in Jesus' name. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise today. God bless you. I won't let the storm weather my heart. I won't let the darkness beat me down. I sing in the night, I hope alive in you. I'll walk through the fire and not be burned. Jesus, tonight I give it all to you. I won't let the storm weather my heart. I won't let the darkness beat me down. I'll walk through the fire and I'll be burned. I'll bring in the fire and watch it turn. Jesus, tonight I give it all to you.
the fire.